Hey, I'm Ashley Lemieux, and I'm here to help you uncover the greatest power in your life. You! After going on my own healing journey, I realized I was looking for the wrong thing, a way out. But I didn't need a way out. What I really needed was a way in, to fully uncover who I am. Each week I'll be sharing tangible tools and inspiring interviews to help you create a clear pathway forward in areas of your life that you might feel stuck or overwhelmed in. I'm not here to be the expert on your life. You are. What I want is to help you believe that. So get ready to reframe your thoughts, reimagine your future, and reclaim your power. Are you ready? I am. One of my very favorite parts of this podcast is learning what it is that my podcast guest wants to talk about that week. I actually don't know if you guys know this, but I have the guest every week choose the title of the episode. And when today's guest told me what he wanted the I am statement to be, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so powerful. It's going to be so life-changing for so many people because it's going to help us reframe current thoughts that we might have in our lives that's holding us back to create a path forward. Today, we are with the one, the only, Dave Hollis to talk about I am a work in progress. Dave is a New York Times bestselling author and he actually has his new book launching today. It's called Built Through Courage. He's the host of the popular Rise Together podcast a keynote speaker and a life and business coach on Growth Day. Dave Hollis, welcome to the show. Ashley, I'm so excited to be here. It's, uh, it's a weird thing because I feel like we are friend friends for real because we have just like interacted so much online over time. We've supported similar causes like uh, Austin Angels or National Angels that we are both passionate about. It's so rad to be able to see you in person. And when I say in person, I mean over Zoom. Thank you for having me on your show. I know, it's so fun to finally be able to talk in, well, I guess kind of in person, but I'll call it in person, I to know. talk in person like this after interacting online for so long. And Dave, I'm just, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited what you're doing in your life. I'm so excited for this book that launches today. Um, and I kind of just want to jump right into it because I, I actually started reading the book this morning, which is it's awesome, by the way. I'm so excited for everyone to get their hands on this. And as I was reading the introduction to the book, something really stood out to me. And it was when you were talking about how you kind of felt nervous or um, like maybe you weren't in the right lane of being a coach and, and, and helping people walk through their stuff because you were still, you're still walking through yours. And you were talking to your therapist who told you something that has been really transformative for you. And I, I, think, I think we should start there because what he said to Dave was, is there a chance? He, he asked him a question and, and I think that this question is so important because at least for me, throughout my life, I always thought there would be this time where I felt like maybe I made it or maybe I just had things more figured out or things wouldn't feel as hard as they, as they once did. And so I think that sometimes we wait for these perfect situations in our lives to take a jump to do something that might scare us because we think that 
I don't know, maybe it will feel easy at some point, but the question that he asks you is so, I feel like it gives us permission to keep walking forward even when it feels scary because he says, is there a chance that because of the work in progress that you are, that you're perfectly qualified to talk to people about taking steps to get whole? Let's start here. I, I wanna hear from you why this moment was so important in your current journey right now. Yeah, well, what's interesting is I, I mean, one, I'm just such an advocate for therapy in part because you get the benefit of someone giving you a breakthrough moment like this every once in a while that is in fact permission to continue to step closer to who you have been put on this planet to be as, a, as an active voice to contradict the voice in your head that would have you second guessing your calling, your mission, the, the reason why you're here. I had had a career inside of a really corporate environment for 20 years worth of time. I was so comfortable in that space. I was good at the jobs that I had in that space. I uh, left the head of sales job at the Walt Disney Company in 2018 to venture into something that feels more like a calling than a career, right? Like I left a career for a calling and the decision to make that leap was hard, but it was also the beginning of a, just a string of really hard choices. Because every day when you start doing work that feels connected to purpose, that's in line with passion, that feels in some way like it might honor the intention of a creator who put you here for reason, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be challenging the triggered state that you find yourself in when you're doing something new. And I just over and over kept walking into new spaces. Oh, I'm going to write a book for the first time. I'm going to speak on a stage for the first time. I'm going to host a podcast for the first time. I'm going to coach for the first time. And anytime you do something that's new, obviously, I am wildly better a writer today than I was when I started. I'm a better speaker than when I started. I'm a better podcast host than when I started. Because that's the way it works. When you do new things, you're not as good until you get better from learning from the ways that you weren't as good. And Part of that question to the therapist and this worry of like, man, I want to serve people so well. I do want to honor the intention of a creator who I think has put me here for this reason. I really do believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm here to take what ends up being something of a gift and using the way I write or speak to be a reporter. Like it's hard to explain to my grandma Lee, who's 99, what I do. She likes to ask every time I see her, do you have a career? Like, should we be worried about you? You're not working at a place that has a business card any longer. And so, yeah, it's hard for me to explain, like, what the heck do I do? But in the simplest form, I'm a reporter. And that decision to be a reporter in so many ways honors me going back to who I wanted to be before I became who I'd become. When I was 21, 22, I was the anchor of the local news thing at Pepperdine University. While I was going to school, I was a DJ on a radio show at 2 a.m. The vaunted, like who doesn't want to have a 2 a.m. radio show? I, I mean, like I wanted it because that was like what got me excited as the reporter in me was coming to life. And somewhere I like started pursuing a career that I am so grateful for. It was like, there were so many blessings that came. I learned so much. I grew so much, but in a lot of ways, I started pursuing what I thought I had to pursue or what I needed to pursue to be a good man. What society was suggesting would make me happy when it came to status 
or salary or title, and in some ways lost myself in the pursuit of what I had been promised would be good or right. And in, in, a, in a beautiful way, I think coming back to who I wanted to be before I became who I'd become has allowed me to connect to passion and purpose, calling, but also finds me asking this question of my therapist, am I qualified to do this work when I'm so new in this work? And the permission that he gives is the permission that someone today needs to hear, which is people need to see themselves in your story. And I think there's something really kind of almost counter-cultural, but also amazing in being able to represent to people that I am very much a work in progress. I am wildly proud of how much growth has come in my life, and I'm just getting started. Like, there's still so much struggle that exists in my life, and that struggle is a reflection of my humanity, not some indictment of my inadequacy or my not being enough or whole or good. I am those things, and I'm continuing on this growth journey of becoming. And in some ways, I think being honest about and owning that work-in-progress nature of who I am might, in fact, allow other people to see themselves in my story and give permission for them to continue their journey of becoming. Since it comes, hopefully, I'm, I'm showcasing it in the book or the way that I'm teaching, not from a posture of, I figured it out. I will now teach you how to be whole because I am whole. No, I'm, hey, I am working on it like you are. And here's what I've learned in the midst of this progress. It's been so helpful for me in the hope that it can be helpful for you. But also, we're going to be walking this journey together for the rest of time. Because work in progress was a, was a moniker that I actually saw as a negative for so much of my life. It in some ways suggested I had not yet arrived or was not yet whole or enough. And I now see it as a badge of honor. It's something that at the end of my life will still be one of the cornerstone pillars of my identity as I hope to continually, for the rest of time, be heading toward a destination that does not exist. Just getting better forever is the mission that I have in life so that in that getting better, I might step a little closer over time to honoring the intention of my creator and living out the purpose of why I've been placed here on this planet. Dave, what you're doing is so powerful. For me, I remember there's been certain times in my life where I was needing some type of book or some type of resource or some type of help from someone who was experiencing what I was going through. And I would look for these for for any tool that I could possibly find to help me. And what I would always find were people telling the story or their journey, but now they were on the other side of it. And it felt like this per perfectly wrapped up bow being packaged yeah. to me. And I'd be like, but, but this isn't my life. Like I, my life freaking sucks right now. And I, I want to hear from someone who it sucks from them too. And this is what they're, they're doing to get through it. And so what you're doing, the words that you're writing, the work that you're creating, the podcast, like everything that you're doing to be able to come along and just scoop people up and say, hey, like, I know life isn't perfect and it doesn't have to be in order for it to be great. And here's what we can do to keep moving forward, to keep finding courage, to keep experiencing joy. It's, it's vulnerable and it's powerful and it's life changing to all the people that experience the work that you do. 
Thank you. I will, I will just say this because I think it's, it's really interesting. Vulnerability or transparency, your, your willingness to allow people to truly see you is one of the most important things that you can do. And yet it's one of the things that takes the most courage. Um, more than anything, I think we as individuals want to be seen for our, as ourselves, for who we actually are, like truly seen and loved for who we are, flaws and all. And one of the things that has been transformative for me in my life when it comes to vulnerability or transparency is that when I've been able to own all of it, the good and the bad, the struggle and the triumph, the, the ownership of the struggle has allowed me to transition things that I historically carried a ton of shame for into power, right? It didn't mean that I'd solved the thing that I was now representing I was working on, but by owning that there was agency in me developing a plan or working through it, or at least acknowledging in some kind of self-awareness that it existed, it turned it from this thing that festered in the dark that I hated about myself when I was by myself to this thing that now allowed you to see me, all of me, and in seeing me, made that thing that I'm working on a thing I can now develop pride for or have power in. And so I just want, I want to encourage you, if you are struggling, consider what good might come in owning that struggle in a way that allows other people to see you. Two things will happen. Number one, you will feel less alone immediately. Because what you will realize is that the stories you tell in private of how your struggle is something that is unique to you or that you must be different or broken or weird because you feel the things you feel in this struggle, you will find that there is overwhelming, universally people that are having the same kind of experience. But that separately, when you find that someone has also had a shared experience with you, they might, in fact, because they're further along their journey, have a tip or trick that could act as a time machine for you. Now you're being given the gift of their experience or perspective as someone who's also been through what you've been through. So, Ashley, for you, like, right, you've been so comfortable owning the things that you and Mike are working through, whether it's infertility or anything else. But by doing that, you've openly invited someone else who might have a perspective to also share with you a little of, oh, you should expect that when you do this thing, you're likely to have this experience. Just be prepared. Or when I did this, I didn't expect this, but man, this was the thing that happened. And um, this was what helped me get through that time. You can't get help for a thing that you haven't shared and you can't feel connected in community if you do it by yourself. That's so good. Something that my therapist, because I'm right with you, right there with you. Therapy is like the greatest gift <laughs> to the world. But something that my therapist has been telling me for years now is the way to know where you're going is to talk to those coming back. Ooh. And the only way that we can do that is by opening up and allowing those parts of us that feel dark or that we want to hide away to come out into the light because then that also brings healing. And I, I, I fully believe that healing is both an individual and a collective experience. And so as we get to join each other on our healing journeys, we're able to have support and guidance to keep walking forward. I will say this, like one of the most like 
beautiful and unexpected things in having a relationship with someone after divorce. <laughs> I met Heidi, uh, this person that I'm in a relationship with, at a time when I was not looking or interested in any way in ladies. I, uh, this was just like, a, <laughs> hey, do you want to have an interview for a conversation around divorce on my podcast? And the thing that she gave me, the gift that she gave me, as someone who was a year ahead of me in her own divorce journey, was a sense of being normal. I needed so badly to feel normal. I also like, needed so badly to feel seen. And in the combo platter of being able to represent my truth, have it seen, and then in it being seen, have it be acknowledged as normal. That this is, yeah, the things that you experience when you're going through this experience made me feel something that I was desperate for in a world of things not making sense. And that's the gift that shows up when you're willing to be a little more vulnerable and transparent of what you're actually going through with others who might be able to relate to and normalize your own experience. Yes. Something I love that you talk about and that's also in your book is having the courage to face fears of leaving your safe harbor for a purpose-filled life. And as I was reading this part in your introduction, I kept thinking about how sometimes we have to leave the harbor because we're forced to, whether it be because of decisions of other people or just things in life that happen that have we have no control over. And other times we have to make the choice to leave the safe harbor. And I actually, I don't know if you know this, but we have a very similar experience with just leaving, actually, well, Mike does, with leaving the corporate world to pursue what he feels like he should be doing with his life. When we were, man, it was a couple years out of college. And at that time we had our two kiddos and we <laughs> were trying to figure out what we were doing in life. And his first job out of college was for, he was in management for the Kroger company. And it was a steady corporate, you know, job that we'd be taken care of, but, but it was destroying him. Like it was sucking his soul just straight out of him. And this was right when Instagram launched and he became one of the first people to figure out influencer marketing as we now call it. And I remember there came a point where he would either need to quit his safe corporate job and go on as the first full-time staff member of this startup company and we'd risk everything, right? Or we just stay status quo and just keep moving forward in the life that we knew that, that wasn't fulfilling and, and wasn't great. And, in that moment, I, I realized something, that one of two things was going to happen. Either we were about to make the worst decision of our lives, and we would find out shortly, or we were going to make a decision that was going to open up more opportunities than we could possibly even comprehend. But the only way to figure out if it was going to open more opportunities was to make that choice because yeah. staying where we were, that wasn't an option. And so as I think about the times in our lives where we don't have to make the choice, but we have a choice that's presented to us of, do we find the courage and leave this thing that feels safe in pursuit of something that could be better for us or could 
bring more growth or more joy or whatever the thing is that we feel like we're missing. I think for me, something that's been really helpful and I and I want to hear from you what that factor is that helps you know how do I make this choice and where do I get that courage from? But But what I have found is that if I stay right where things are, there's no chance that it will ever change. And the yeah. only way I have a chance is if I make that hard choice. So for you, because I know that there's been a lot of decisions that you've had to make to get to where you are right now, how do you, like, what does the process look like for you of finding the courage to make a change, not knowing what the outcome is going to be? Yeah, well, so there's, uh, man, there's a whole host of things. The first thing I would say is we have intuition, voice of God, a knowing that lives inside of us that we are the worst at trusting. And we're, and we're terrible at trusting it or believing in it because of our lack of belief in self, but also because the world operates from the day we're born with a bunch of voices that act often in competition or in opposition with that voice. And so whether it's the uh, suggestion of what good girls do or what real men do or the way that your family of origin might suggest that you should do this or should do that, the way that religion influences what you should or shouldn't do, all of those things, all of those voices often are coming at the expense of you or chipping away at the way that you might have faith in or believe in that voice that's inside of you. If we could just stay connected to and believe in that voice. That voice often knows what we need to do long before we appreciate it on a conscious level. For me, you said it, like there is change that chooses you and there's change that you choose. And I have been someone in the last four years, right? I chose to leave the Walt Disney Company to pursue entrepreneurship. I had someone else choose to have our marriage end. And by the way, at the end of uh, days, it's a thing that I have so much gratitude for and perspective on now that I couldn't at the time, but those changes, whether they're choosing you or you're choosing them, are disorienting and jarring every single time. For me, that change that I chose in leaving the Walt Disney Company came out of a very simple and deep question that was asked by my then seven-year-old son while we were in the backyard enjoying a hot tub game called Ask Dad Anything where as a part of a routine, my then that nine, seven, terrifying. and four-year-old... Well, here's the thing. You can imagine with nine, seven, and four-year-old boys at that time, it was mostly gross stuff because they just wanted to know a bunch of ridiculous things that I had an appetite to <laughs> indulge them in. And uh, very much they uh, would enjoy making me laugh or making me blush when they asked dumb and silly questions. But this one day, my son Sawyer asked this question. Hey, Dad, what are you most afraid of? What are you, what, what's, what's, what are you most scared of? And he's looking for like tarantulas or scorpions and out of my mouth falls, not living up to my potential. And it was this thing that was living inside of the recesses of my being. It wasn't even a conscious thought. It just came out. And as it was out, now that it was in the light of day, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so I saw it as I said it. I also realized because of so many unbelievable things that were happening at the Walt Disney Company at the time, whether it was the strength of the leadership or the greatest team on the planet, the best and biggest collection of intellectual property of all time in Marvel, Pixar, Lucas, and Disney, I was in real time living into my greatest fear. I wasn't having to study for tests that I was getting straight A grades on. 
And as I was in this hunt around 40, it's the exact time that I'm now asking these big existential questions of, why have I been placed here? Like, what's my purpose? Why do I have these gifts, but am not in a position to necessarily use them? Shouldn't I feel like something more? Shouldn't I be something more, do something? And then this question comes out, and now I realize, oh, I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And so action was a requirement. There was a mandate now that I knew, oh, I've been enjoying a safe harbor, a comfort zone that, yeah, to the outside world had me living in an unbelievably great dream job. I had the title and the status and the salary and the proximity to movie stars and whatever else that for most people it was like, oh, this was ideal. And I, trust me, there's a part of anyone who's listening is like, let me get out the smallest violin on earth for Dave. You, you, you were struggling as head of sales at Disney while you're hanging out with Chris Pratt. You're an idiot. And guess what? I Like, judge me, please. But also, I had stopped listening to the voice inside. I had allowed the way that society had defined what success looked like to compromise what success was against the backdrop of my honor, my honoring the intention of my creator, right? God put me here for a reason. And as much as I did great work, and I'm so proud of the career that I built, it wasn't to sell movies at Disney. And I feel like now, having left my career for my calling, I found a way to transition into something, but it required getting back in touch with and, and, and trusting that voice that all along had this knowing, Dave, you're here to be a storyteller. You're here to be a reporter. You're here to be someone who can take your experiences and your way with words and allow people to see themselves in your story so that they might have the breakthroughs that you're having, that you might collect the wisdom of other people and bring it to them in a way that they might be able to hear it if they haven't been able to before. And uh, it doesn't make it easy. No, because I thought that the hard choice was, oh man, I have to go in and tell Bob Iger that I want to be released from my contract and leave the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, that was a hard choice. But it began a string of really hard choices that inevitably I had to every single day make, cultivating courage to keep walking into spaces that were new different, uncomfortable, that exposed me as being the work in progress that I am inside of spaces where I had not yet developed mastery, but was every single day trying to, as I kept moving forward and learning, most often from failure. And I think that's part of the journey too that's really hard is learning how to trust yourself, to make those decisions, to trust your intuition, especially, and I don't know if you've experienced this before, but for me, there's been times where the results of our lives ended up so drastically different than I felt that they were going to. So there'd be times where I'd be like, God, I, like, how do I, tr how do I trust you again? How, how do I trust that oh, you're yeah. not going to just obliterate my life again? Or how do I trust myself? Cause, cause am I to blame for how badly this, this time ended or, I've, I've just had these moments where I've really had to relearn how to trust myself and how to trust God and how to trust the journey of things so that I can refine that courage to make the next hard decision. At what point, because you, you were just saying that this was happening around when you turned 40 years old. And I think that's something that really gets me that, that makes me so sad is 
the idea that so many people have that they've missed their chance or yeah. that they're too late. It's, it's too late for you to make a change or to do something different. What do you have to say to those people? Because I feel like you have a lot of wisdom about that. What's interesting is I think about the legacy that I will leave on this planet. Like, what do I hope for people to say about me when they're eulogizing me at my memorial service? And as much as I am so proud of the 20 years of experience I had inside of entertainment and the things I got to do, I hope that there isn't a single mention of the work I did for the first 20 years of my adult career because of the way that every other thing that I've done in the next 40 years worth of time stands out as who I am and how I'm known. I, I believe that I am going to be known as the person that was born in so many ways in 2020. Right? The, 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 uh, the circumstances that I've come through and the, and the person that I have become and will continue to become, the work that I do and will continue to do, will be the legacy of my life. And what's interesting is I had to, like anyone who starts to question, like, is it too late? I'm 46. Right? I had to go find a bunch of examples of other people who themselves have had experiences later in life that had their legacy defined well beyond what we traditionally think is the way it has to happen. Like, oh, if I haven't created success by 30 or had success by 40, then I'm not, I won't. And the, I, I ended up putting this in the book, but Vera Wang, she made her first wedding dress at 40. Rodney Dangerfield did his first stand-up at 46. Julia Child had her first cookbook come out at 49. Sam Walton opened his first Walmart at 44. Ray Kroc had his first McDonald's at 50. Duncan Hines made his first cake at 73. Like, those people had prolific, prolific lives, all of which happened to start right around the age that I am. Fantastic news, Dave. There's a ton of evidence that this conceit that you have or hope that you have that the way you'll be known is defined by the work you'll do after 46. That is definitely possible. Keep working, brother. And what's interesting is, as much as, again, like I, I, I am proud. I just am so grateful for all of the experiences that I've had. I'm connected to purpose. I'm connected to fulfillment. I believe I'm doing God's work in a way that I previously was chasing personal accolade or person, like the, the, I, 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 I tried to explain it to somebody the other day. When I had goals at 22, almost all of them were I. I want this. I need that. I, want, I will be satisfied when I achieve this thing or have this title or make this money. And all of my goals now are about how many people I hope to impact. And it doesn't mean that I'm still not going to be the catalyst for that. But the way that I might be acknowledged as the conduit isn't the thing. I am not interested necessarily in being known as the person who had the breakthrough. I just want there to be recognition of the breakthrough. I want there to be recognition of the way that I took my gifts and gifted them to other people because that's why gifts have been given. And so, I don't know, like to anyone who feels like it's too late, it's not too late. It's just that that is just a limiting belief. That's a lie that we believe that if you can unbelieve it, 
you'll find evidence everywhere you look when you start looking for it to say, oh, no, there's as much opportunity for me at 45 and 50 and 55 as there was for me at 25. The difference now, I've got an extra 20 years of experience and wisdom and connections and failures that I learned from that I didn't have back then. Wow, I'm so much better equipped to handle whatever's going to come my way. I am, I'm ready for it. Let's go. I love this so much. I went... I went back to school a couple months ago. Um, I saw this. I, I, it's been so great, but I'm getting my master's in mental health and wellness. And when I started school, I kept telling myself that, man, I'm going to be so much older than most of the people in my classes, which I am. But I'm not older than the 65-year-old grandmother who just started her master's program because she's retired and she wanted to find another fulfilling career and she has all these plans about what she's doing when she graduates and i remember reading her introduction to the class and i was just like this is how this is how i want to live my life like what i a want baller i love it, that it, it was she was talking about how when she graduates her next thing is she's planned a whole trip to the Amalfi coast and it's gonna do some time over in europe and i'm like yes why why do we stop our lives so short when we have so much more life to be living? And that's something that's been really impactful for me, especially this year, is knowing that we we don't know, we never know how much time we have left. And what a gift it is that we get to choose what we wanna do with the time. And it's never too late for us to make a new choice. Yeah. Going along with this, there's a line in your book that I am obsessed with. I want to blow it up and put it on my office wall. And and I want you to kind of, if you could just dive deep into what this has meant for you and how maybe what pushed you to have to discover this. But you said something in you has to die in order to grow. Yeah. What does that mean? And what forced you to figure that out? So to answer the question, I'll go back just a little bit. At the very end of 2019, I made this very bold and uh, at times I regretted it, uh, proclamation that I was going to have the best year of my life in 2020. Uh, I'd saved it for 45. Here Dave, we go. Dave, that's a terrible year to choose. 2020 I, just in general, like that has to be the worst year to choose to have the best year of your life. But I'm really here for this for you. If I am <laughs> responsible in any way for anything that anyone had to go through in 2020, I do want to apologize for taunting the universe. But uh, I made this declaration. And what I didn't appreciate was that I did not get a say in the conditions through which my best year would show up. Because 2020 was, as it was, I think, for many of us. Uh, I mean, for me, it was the hardest year of my life by a factor of 100 times harder than any year I'd previously had. And it also was my best year. It is, it is this year that will, at the end of life, be the time when I became who I've become, not in spite of the things that I went through, but because of the things I went through. And so for me, the beginning of that journey of becoming was massive identity loss. I had only really known myself as husband to Rachel or professionally as someone who was going to work with her, worked with her and would work with her for the rest of time. And those things going away left me now with this blank piece of paper that I convinced myself was meant to be both exhilarating and terrifying to fill out. 
right? Hey, you now have the freedom to write whatever you want on this paper now that you're not who you've been. Who do you want to be? It's a, a, a choose your own adventure kind of thing. You can say or do anything you want. And at the beginning, I couldn't conjure the imagination to write on the paper. One of the first casualties in my divorce was my ability to imagine things for myself because I was so disconnected from any sense of normal and anything I'd ever known. And so one of the things I had to do at the beginning first, really create a relationship with fear, understand why fear was compromising my imagination. But I also needed to find examples of other people who had been through hard things that were able to leverage those hard things into power or build on top of their tragedy, the triumph that might come because of, not in spite of, having to endure those hard things. And I just found story after story after story of people who, of course, went through the hardest things, and that hard thing or those hard things were the reason why they became who they become. And then I was spending some time in the Bible. I got really close in my faith in the midst of this hardest season. James 4, 8 draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I was forced to my knees and, uh, and stayed there for a decent amount of time in the middle of 2020. But in the midst of that, I come across the story of Lazarus, who literally had to die to be brought back to life. And it provoked this question, hey, Dave, what might have to die in your life so that you might be brought back to life? Makes me want to cry a little bit. Huh. And as it turned out, a lot of really, really important things had to die for me to be brought back to life. My sense of normalcy, my ego, my relationship, my like identity, every part, all these parts, they all had to die. And in their death, in, in a beautiful way that, again, I could not appreciate in real time as they were dying and I was grieving that loss, there's a line I use in the book, not often do people quote Tyler Durden from Fight Club, but it's not until you lose everything that you're free to do anything. And the freedom that came in the death of these really important things was that I, as the author of what happened next, didn't have to be encumbered by what had been. I now got to define what would be. And so that Death, as much as it is sad, and certainly like grief is a nonlinear thing, I am so happy to be as far along my journey as I am, and yet, just wait, there'll be a birthday or a holiday or a quick text that is meaning uh, good, but ends up being received on that day with the wind blowing in that direction in a way that makes me cry for a half hour. Um, it's still a thing that I am processing, and yet, there, there was because of the way that the conditions that would present themselves broke me down, broke down that muscle to build it back up stronger, burned down the things that were important in that death from the ashes, I was able to create something beautiful. And I'm still creating something beautiful as this work of pro in progress over time that will continue to create. What I hope for maybe more than anything though is that I have certainly gone through some hard things, not the hardest of anyone who's listening, nowhere near what I think you and Mike have had to go through in recent years yourselves. And I wish that I could just say like, oh, my quota for hard things is full. Like, I bet you wish the same thing, right? I've gone through enough hard things. I'm full. Thank you very much. I need no more hard things. Uh, thank you, God. Um, but I know that more hard things are coming, right? Like, that's just a condition of being human. What I have now, though, is a set of evidence of how hard things in my life were the catalysts for beautiful growth, 
transformative growth. I don't recognize myself from two years ago. It's like one of the best compliments someone can give me right now. I don't, I don't recognize you. Like, thank you. That is the most lovely thing that you could say because I am proud of who I am today and grateful that I've become who I have because of those hard things. Last thing I'll say on this before I stop talking is I had a really interesting relationship with God in the midst of this hard season, as I'm sure anyone who goes through hard things does. Um, I came to appreciate, one, that it's easy to say that you have faith until your faith is tested. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the testing of faith that you get to appreciate what faith actually means. Uh, two, I can confirm for anyone who ever uh, is angry with God that God is big enough and strong enough to handle your anger. He can hold it. Um, you can yell at him. You can scream into the skies. He can handle and hold it. Um, but three, and I want to be really sensitive with this because it's easy for me to say to somebody else in a podcast earlier, it's, it feels a little bit different with you, and I'm gonna, I want to get your reaction to this, but I had prayed very, very specific prayers to God, and I thought that I got to dictate the conditions through which those prayers would be answered. And in so many ways, the things I prayed for have come to be but they happened through means or ways that were not mine, but his. And I was mad that it wasn't happening my way, even though I am now the beneficiary of the blessing of the prayer having been answered. And so I, again, like I now sit on the other side of this thing where I have an appreciation that, hey, Dave, go ahead and pray your prayers but quit with the hubris or the ego that has you believing that you get to dictate how they get answered because they, you, you don't brother. Sorry. I'm going to cry about this too. Like I, there's a lot of things I wished hadn't happened and I am who I am today because the prayers were answered the way they were meant to. Even if it was inconvenient or painful for me, even if I had to process grief in the midst of it, I have, been given the luxury, the privilege of becoming who I've become because they were answered. But they were answered in a way that was disconnected from what would have been easiest for me. And the reality is if they had been answered in easier ways, I wouldn't have become who I have. I really love that we're having this conversation right now because I think that one of the things that does not get talked a lot about when you go through something that changes your whole life you also go through this really big grieving process. And I don't think that people realize the amount of grief that comes along with change or with trial or trauma or, or just the loss of life as you once knew it. There's this huge grieving process that comes as you're grieving who you once were and now who you're becoming as you're grieving your idea of God, how God answers your prayers, how God doesn't answer your prayers, how you fit into life, like what you believe now because old beliefs might have been just totally shattered and stomped on and smashed if, if you experience anything like I've experienced. And there's this big grieving process that comes with that, but something that I now have a word for because I've been leaning into it so, so much. And it's a thing that's real that actually is, exists. It's called post-traumatic growth. Oh, and yes. 
it's so beautiful because we hear about PTSD so much, the, the post-traumatic stress of what happens after trauma and loss, but there's also a post-traumatic growth that can happen. But in order for that to happen, you literally have to be stripped down to, to just you. And, and all the things that, that you once surrounded yourself with maybe to protect you or beliefs that made it feel safer to live and exist in the world, even if they aren't true, are gone. And all that's left is truth and who you really are. And yeah. from that moment, which is the rock bottom of life, you then get to choose what comes back into your life and where you keep growing forward. And for me in answering, I guess your, I don't know if it was a question, but of, of asking how I feel about how God answers prayers, for me, it's being able to, to, I know that God answers prayers because I can still find joy in the deepest pain because yeah. I still know that life is worth living even when it's so desperately hard and feels so impossible because there's people around me who love me and support me even when it feels like everything else is crumbling. And being able to be in a position now where I can experience this post-traumatic growth has changed me as a human. And to be honest, and this is something that I often think about, the things that I had to go through to, to get to the knowing that I have now in my life, I wish I never had to go through them. Like I would yeah. take all my kids back in one second, like all day long to not have to know this. And in the same breath, I can also say, I am so grateful for what I know now because it's changed me. And I can't imagine living life without knowing and experiencing what I know and I'm able to experience now, like yeah. it's both. And I think that yeah. that's what happens, especially as, as we're talking about being this work in progress is that it can be really hard to let go of our idea of what we wanted life to be. And that's okay. And at the same time, we can still hold hope and growth for the future. So by Dave, the way, I think it's, it's so interesting because I, if I had a thing that I grieved and have had to try and like connect to it not being a like a picture of reality, but of something else, it's the it's grieving what I wish could have happened. Yes. <laughs> which which may sound crazy, but um, there there was the version of what would have happened. Like, really, let's be honest, what would have actually happened if I were to have continued working at the Walt Disney Company or if I had continued to be married or whatever it might be. And then there's the version of what I wish would have happened. And, and unfortunately, I think it's just a product of our humanity, we idealize and, and, and romanticize a version of hoped-for future that isn't even connected to reality. And, and that for me was actually helpful in my grieving process to, to really sit aside and say, wait, hold on. The thing that you're crying about, that you're sad for, the way that you wish that you were going to experience holidays in the future or whatever it is, is that real? 
Like, was that a, like, was that a real thing? Would you have to be different people to have that be real? And when I could actually connect to, oh, actually, we'd have to be different people for that version of sliding doors to unfold. And we're not those people. Okay, I need to make peace with wishing that the world looked like this and find a way to become comfortable with the way the world really looks. Doesn't mean I'm not going to cry about it, but there was something in the healing that just like getting back to what is as opposed to what Mm -hmm. might be or could be uh, afforded me just a little tiny bit of peace. This actually goes right into the last question that I want to ask you. It's, it's literally the same thing because I also read in your book how going back to your divorce, which I know is, was such a hard time in your life as you've expressed it, and, and you were, um, it was about to be the first night that you were going to be home alone in your home without your wife, without your kids. And you had created this story of how terrible it was going to be and how lonely and how all of the things. And in your book, you, t- you talked about also the opposite of what you just said of sometimes in our minds, we also make up this worst case scenario that doesn't mean that it's true, right? Like it, it maybe the things yeah. that we're really afraid of, maybe those aren't going to come true or to happen. So I would love to end here with you helping whoever is listening right now. They Maybe they're walking through a divorce, maybe they're walking through a loss, maybe they're walking through a big job change, whatever that thing is. And they have these stories of fear of what it's going to be like that aren't even true. What would you tell that person right now? Well, one, I want to honor your feelings. So I think the first thing is I, like nothing good will come in anyone ever telling you that you shouldn't feel a certain thing or that like, just honor the fact that you're feeling what you're feeling. Okay. That's, that's the first thing. You are human. Feelings are good. You have feelings for reasons. Honor them. The thing that has been super transformative for me in the work that I did in the aftermath of divorce was some therapy called internal family systems where Oh my I, gosh, yes. I'm so happy you did this. Oh, that's so good. Let's go. I'm like geeking okay. out. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, is, go, oh, go, I, go here. I love go when here. someone's a geek about <laughs> IFS. All right. So <laughs> IFS is this idea that I am self and I have parts that are managers or that play roles. And each of these parts, whether they're feelings or actions, they believe themselves to exist to help me. And that means that even the feelings I don't like present themselves because they believe that they are playing a role that they are meant to play. They don't recognize positive or negative. They just play a role that they're there for. And part of what I had to understand is that I am not that feeling. I am the observer of that feeling. So now as self, making a relationship with something that I feel has changed the way that I associate that feeling as a a characteristic of me as opposed to just a thing that I am experiencing. So I'll give you a very practical example. Anxiety is a big emotion of mine over time. I'm talking about like situational, not clinically diagnosed anxiety, but situational anxiety, big thing for me. So I had to, don't laugh, name my anxiety. I named him Clark. As in uh, opposite of Superman, when he's wearing his glasses, he's sitting at a table, his name is Clark, he is my anxiety. And when I feel anxious, 
I actually sit down at a table with Clark in my head and I have a conversation with my anxiety. Hey, Clark, why are you here? What role do you believe yourself to be playing? I know you think you're helping me, brother. Why are you here? And what Clark will often represent is, hey, Dave, uh, there's this part of your life where there's just enough ambiguity that I feel like I need to show up to draw your focus to this part of your life in the hopes that you will develop a plan. Because if you created a plan for this ambiguous part of your life, I'd check out, man. I'd just like, I'd take off. I wouldn't need to be here. Clark's job is to draw my focus to ambiguous parts of my life that need a plan, that need a a little routine, some structure. And in a crazy way, well, I don't like to be anxious. And historically, man, I would mute my anxiety. I would be frustrated or take it out on other people when I became anxious. I now have developed bizarrely a little bit of gratitude for the role that Clark plays in helping draw my focus to an area of my life that I can, in focusing on it, create a plan for. And so I've now, in that relationship, changed the way I think about that feeling. And I can do that for anger. I can do that for sadness. So I think I would just say, like, if you're, whatever you're feeling, honor the fact that it exists. And to the extent that you can separate that feeling from you, you are the observer of that feeling. You are not that feeling. If, you're, if it's a voice in your head, You are not the voice in your head. You are the observer to the voice. If you haven't read Untethered Soul, I really recommend that you grab that book. It's a fantastic read about this very topic. But if you can see that you are the observer of it, and then just get curious. What is this feeling trying to tell you? Is there there something that you're meant to focus on or learn? And this has been an active process with my kids, right? Like I can say this to adults and they're like, you talk to your person in your head named Clark, you're weird. And I'm like, yeah, I describe it to my kids. like, oh, like inside out. Okay, I'll describe my sadness to you, dad. And now we've normalized that feelings are just part of life and that creating a relationship with them is the way that you process them. And it's been beautiful and cathartic and we're healing because we honor the fact that they exist and we're curious to understand why they believe that they're there. This is so good. This is the same thing that I've done with grief. I actually have a picture. I'm going to grab it. I have to show you this. I, uh, oops, backwards. So this is the same thing that I did with grief. And I actually... Got, I bought a picture of who grief looks like to me. And whenever I feel grief so strongly, I I view grief as a woman. And I ask her, what is it that you are needing to teach me right now? And it's made that those overwhelming feelings feel so much less overwhelming. And instead something that even though it's so hard to feel like we're not... Dave and I aren't having this conversation like, oh, just just give it a space in your life and it'll be so much easier. No, it's freaking hard. It's freaking, that's the opposite of what we're saying. It's freaking hard, but it gives space for you to learn and to be supportive, to to be supported. To me, it it helps give it meaning because like, here's the thing. I don't like to feel the things that I, you know, I don't like to grieve. I don't like sadness, but if I can get something in meaning around the feeling, it feels at least like there's maybe something good that can come from it or that it's worth it. I, I, worth it even sounds like a weird word, but I just... It's like pain the, the in your purpose. 
purpose yeah, in like your have, pain. Yeah, yeah. Purpose in your pain, right? Like being able to galvanize something good out of the pain is the hope. And if you can apply meaning to that feeling, now all of a sudden you give yourself a chance to do that. I just, I love it. And you're beautiful. The, the picture is beautiful. And, and, and it makes me sad even just looking at it because I know that if you have to go to that place or you're experiencing that thing, I know what that, just from looking at that picture, I know what it feels like. Yeah. I, um, Dave, I appreciate you so much. The way that you are able to show up authentically as yourself and share with not just me, but a whole wide world <laughs> of, of people who you haven't even met, but that you genuinely care so much about that you are willing to go into the hard parts of your own story to share so that others can have hope and tools to go through theirs. It's it's really amazing. And I'm so, I'm honored to know you. I'm so excited that your new book has come out today. You guys, you have to go buy Built Through Courage wherever books are sold. I promise, like, I'm, I'm not just telling you this. I've, I've started <laughs> reading it today. Like, you have to go and get it. Dave, where else can people come connect with you online? So Ashley, number one, you're amazing. You're so inspiring to me. I love following you and Mike. And I do feel like we are already tight friends, even though this is the first time I'm even talking to you face to face. Goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, Heidi and I are going to come and hang out with you guys in Arizona soon, since I am there as often as I am. But Please do. Um, you, can, you can buy the book literally anywhere. But when you do, there's a whole bunch of bonuses that I have created to thank you for spending your hard-earned 15 to 20 bucks. There's $500 worth of courses and coaching that exists immediately at mrdavehollis.com. So if you go to mrdavehollis.com forward slash book, you get a finding your purpose course, you get a confidence and mindset course, the workbooks that go with each 13 weeks worth of coaching and a community of like 7,000 people who are just amazing, like-mindedly reaching for a better version of themselves and here to encourage you and make you feel normal in your struggles. So I encourage you to jump on in and join. Yes, you guys, Dave doesn't do anything halfway. So go, go check it out. Go get all this stuff. Thanks for joining us, Dave. And you guys, thank you so much for being here with us this week. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the I Am Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I love hearing from you online. So if there's something that really resonated with you, come and let me know. Share a screenshot of this podcast and tag me on Instagram at Ashley Kalemu so I can see what's impacting you the most. It might even help your friends. And remember, every time you ask yourself, am I really strong enough to do this? The answer is, I am. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.